Welcome to the Pro AV Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Making his return to the show, we have owner and principal consultant of Bernie Consulting, Colin Bernie, here today to talk about software as a product, how we can improve AV design, and about how consumers are starting to get some of their power back. How you doing, Colin? Thank you for coming back on the show. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So since you've been here before, let's just get introductions out of the way. Can you tell us just a little bit about Bernie Consulting and what you do there? Yeah, I... Um... I run a consultancy. It's uh, just me at the moment, but um, I'm less focused uh, as most consultants are on design build. So, you know, plans for the rooms, working with architects, and I'm more focused on uh, on sort of what happens after that, the AV service design. So helping customers create high quality services where they, they deal with you know, ticketing and incidents and how to do life cycle planning. So basically, uh, sort of a whole view approach. And that's that's what I consult in specifically. Right. So to contextualize this a little bit, could you give us an example of some of the changes you often end up recommending or suggesting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's what it really is, is bringing IT standards to AV services. Uh, we as an industry kind of, you know, we tend to fall behind or, or, or are always playing catch up with the IT industry, which is, you know, sort of our companion. And, you know, we see a lot of stuff about the AV IT convergence. And so this is a response to, you know, on the, on the hardware side, it makes sense. You know, you have network devices, you have, um, you know, you have a lot of software, you know, you're using, you know, network cables instead of, you know, AV cables. But what's what's kind of being neglected is treating that equipment and the service and the hardware like it's an IT, you know, IT devices. And so uh, one of the big things that I do is I help organizations get up to speed with, um, you know, with building building their ticketing system, applying uh, appropriate SLAs for response times, working with managed service providers, uh, and getting into the point where they can eventually have enough data and a, a sort of long-term view to, to start making changes. Because really what all this is about is having good data, having good control. Um, you know, and the biggest thing we see right now is that there's such large environments that you can't you, know, you can't run things like you used to. When you had 20 rooms, you could sort of, you know, fiddle around and, you know, get to it when you do. And, you know, it's a little more specialized, but we're starting to deal with, you know, thousands of rooms, tens of thousands of devices, and there has to be a more specific methodology to it. So I use the ITO methodology. Um, I think that's probably one of the most important certifications you can get as an AV professional now, uh, besides CTS and all the rest. Um, and so, yeah, so specifically what I've done in the past is I've helped customers design a new AV service. So old provider wasn't working quite right. I've come in, helped them redefine their SLAs, what, what should be appropriate, what's reasonable, um, help them uh, design their service as a whole you know, organization, not just, you know, break fix, but doing events and responding to questions and planning for, for new builds. And so um, it, it's, it's challenging because it's a long-term process. You know, someone that I would work with, and this is what I always tell people, is like, if you start today, you're going to have a great organization in about three to five years. And that's just how long it takes to slowly work your way up to collecting more data, having more processes, you know, and it's overwhelming to start too, too big. So usually I start small and then we roadmap where we're going to go over the next two to three years. When you're telling uh, clients that, does that uh, put them off ever? Like letting them know the reality of how long it takes to, to build up a good system? 
Yeah, it, it does because really what people are often looking for are quick wins. You know, they, they right. know that something's wrong and they want a quick fix. And, and obviously there are ways to have quick wins. And that's usually where I'll start is say, okay, what's, you know, what's your top issue right now? Let's tackle that. And then we'll start digging into it. Or what data can we get now that's going to be really easy to show some improvement? You know, a lot of companies don't have a good asset management system. And if you tell them, okay, we're going to go out and we're going to, we're going to survey all of your equipment. We're going to get every serial number off of, you know, these 50,000, 80,000 devices. That's really off-putting. But if you say, hey, we're going to put in a new process so that when a new room comes online, we're going to have an asset sheet that the installer fills out. And now we're going to take that data and we're going to put it somewhere and we have it. You know, and so it's those small steps that get you towards that goal that are helpful. But yeah, it, it is off-putting and it is hard to say, well, you know, it's going to be bad for <laughs> it's going to be bad for a little while, but it's going to get slowly better. You know, it's hard to sell that. Uh, and that that is the biggest challenge for me with customers is convincing someone to embark on a long-term project. Because most consultants, they, you know, a big project or a long project is like a year or two years. But to say, hey, we're going to be working on this over the next couple of years, that's a long commitment and it is off-putting. Right. And then, yeah, and that, I mean, that's just interesting to think about, right? Because I'm sure a lot of when people are reaching out, they're probably expecting an, an, some sort of immediate magical solution, right? Yeah, they they are, but I think also people understand that there is some, you know, maybe there's some aspect because not not everyone is starting from scratch. You know, some people have they already have a system in place, but it just needs improvement or it needs some tweaks or it needs some direction, you know, and that that is a better place to start. And and really, yeah, it's it's the people that reach out that already understand that there's a problem and they're already looking for fixes. And you know, if if you can put them quickly on the right path, it can go a lot quicker. But, you know, I think the part of it too, that the time is that when you make a change, you got to let it sit and burn in for a while. You know, that's one of the biggest problems that IET organizations have is that they'll make rapid changes without allowing one change to, to sort of settle in and work through processes and work through issues and then say, okay, this is good. It's working. Let's go on to the next thing. Um, you know, I've seen that a number of times, both in consulting and in companies I worked for where, you know, people rush along and it's just, it just goes poorly. Right. I mean, you can't really analyze something without letting it make its own pattern first. So. Yeah. Yeah. You need historic, like I'm, I'm a big, uh, I love data, you know, the more data, the better. And, you know, thankfully we have a lot of tools that can analyze data for us now. Um, but yeah, it takes time. It takes time to build up data. You know, if you, if you're an organization, you have two or 300 tickets a month, that's great, but it's going to take you months and months and months to start recognizing patterns. One month of data isn't really worth anything. It's just data, but you know, a pattern emerges over the long term, and that's what, you know, that's why it's sometimes hard to really get to the root of problems because it's like, well, if you don't have any data, we can't really get down to what the issue is. So let's start by collecting data and be patient. You know, same thing with uh, things like customer surveys. You kind of have to baseline um, the user experience before you start changing it. If you don't know what's wrong and you don't know how people feel, diving into a different change just puts you on the path to doing what you've always done and making the same mistakes. Right, just starting over from scratch, basically. Yeah, I'm curious. Over the, the 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 time you've been working in this industry, have you seen any any changes or trends that have made your job either easier or, or more difficult? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the biggest thing is really having everything. You know, everything's got an Ethernet port or it's on Wi-Fi, and that to me is huge. You know, when I when I'm looking for sources of data, it's 
far more labor intensive and expensive to use AV methods. So having a control system hooked up to serial and logging all of that and then trying to take that data and use something with it than it is to use IT tools to say, okay, if this thing is online, at the very least, I can tell whether it's online, how much data it's using, whether it's active, and I can be a lot more proactive. And so that to me has been the biggest change is that I can now use IT tools to manage AV and I can use it to monitor it and be proactive as opposed to the past where we had to have a control system that would see if something was online, try to, you know, you try to build the logic to see if you know, detect a failure and then that system has to take some sort of response. It has to generate an email or raise a little red flag that someone has to notice, you know, and that, and that's, that's a lot, that was a lot of work. And, and it was understandable that a lot of people didn't embark uh, on that, uh, that process because it was so labor intensive, but now there's really no excuse. If something's online, you should at the very least be just checking to see if it's there. Of course, of course. So with the convergence of AV and IT being more and more prominent, yeah. has this helped make your job a little bit easier? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it has it has made things easier because people are starting to fall or not people, but our industry is starting to fall in line with IT standards. IT has, you know, is very standards based. It's very process driven, or at least it should be, uh, you know, in theory, that's, that's the whole idea behind ITIL and these frameworks. Uh, yeah, it should be. And if you do it that way, Life is, you know, life is, is, is wonderful because you have, you have a framework to work within and you can make changes in a, in a rational way. And I think that the AV industry taking that stuff on has been a really good move forward. Uh, I've talked to a few manufacturers recently that are really excited about getting rid of proprietary hardware you know, things like, you know, these purpose-built boxes and moving over to Linux. They're writing software for Linux or they're having Linux be the brains and control of their hardware system because it's so much more appealing for an IT organization to put a Linux machine online and install, you know, management tools than it is to say, hey, here's this box that gets on your network and we can't really tell you what it does or what the software is that's running. You just have to trust us, you know? So that's been the biggest I think the biggest benefit of the convergence, I think on the negative side, you know, we're, we're stepping into a world that a lot of people don't necessarily understand and things like security, uh, you know, that's, that's a big concern because you have a lot of uh, manufacturers that don't necessarily understand what's expected of them that are creating these, these IOT internet of things devices that really are, you know, are a risk. And I think that's going to be harmful to, our industry because you know, you know once once a major breach is tied to something from our industry we're going to come under an enormous amount of scrutiny thankfully nothing has really happened yet but you know i think it does put a lot of pressure on manufacturers and there are a lot of manufacturers that don't really understand it i mean some of them are some of them are doing really well they're they're following good processes and they're starting to standardize on you know it hardware you know it switches and servers but there's still a lot of sort of proprietary boxes that you just have to put online and trust that they're they're good to go. Right. And look, while we're on the topic of manufacturers, can you tell me a little bit about your theory that products, uh, both hardware and software, are being more and more designed for salespeople and integrators and less so for consumers, making them obviously less consumer friendly or user friendly? Yeah, I, I believe that, you know, and I think it's evident in design is that, you know, features come from companies and, and obviously this is this is a generalization but features generally come from 
stuff that seems cool or it's trendy or it's appealing, um, you have a lot of products that try to do a whole bunch of things. You know, I think, I think the good sort of contrast to this is, you know, if you look at a Nest uh, learning thermostat, it's got a screen that tells you the temperature. It's got a big knob on it. It does what it does really well. It's very attractive. It's appealing. You want to touch it and you know what it does. Uh, our industry though has these all in wonder boxes that do you know, 20 different things. Like it transports video, but it also can do USB to your computer and uh, does audio and it does, you know, Dante and converts signals. It doesn't do all of them very well, but it does all of them. And I think that this, the feature sets that come out are really based around, you know, what's easy to sell. It's easy to sell you know, an all-in-one solution. It's easy to sell something that looks flashy or is checking all the boxes of what's trendy. But I think a lot of times the customers don't really have a voice. And that's that's very frustrating. And, you know, coming from a background of having been a customer of the industry, you kind of feel like you don't have a voice. You feel like when you complain, you're just seen as a complainer. It's not viewed as feedback that should go into a feature list. It's just viewed as, well, we have another, you know, unhappy customer. Let's, you know, give him some more stuff or take him to dinner. You know, instead of saying, hey, this is really valuable feedback, let's create a feature set based on the feedback coming from these customers. You don't see that. And it does translate, unfortunately, um, into the corporate, you know, spaces and the, you know, sort of the AV organizations as well. Like they go to trade shows, they make decisions on hardware and they put it out. And the end users who actually have to go in the room and touch it and interact with it often aren't consulted. They're not part of the decision-making process because they're sort of viewed as, well, you know, you'll use what we give you and that's just how it's always been. And then that, that's a problem. That's a problem for our industry that we're, we're slowly trying to solve. So what about this theory in regards to software? Do you think the consolidation of, of a lot of these companies trying to offer you everything at once is good in regards to software or is it the same situation we're looking at with hardware where it's it tends to be proprietary and it tends to kind of hurt the user experience I, I don't know I think I think software does make it easier because there's a little bit of a you know it's it's a little more apparent when something isn't meeting your needs because you have a chance to to touch it and use it and you know a lot of times evaluate it before you get into this buying situation a lot of times with hardware you end up with a situation where you bought the hardware and it's paid for and there's you know a restocking fee or it's been installed and you don't you don't get to learn about those problems before you roll it out in mass software i think has the benefit of being able to being able to test it out before you go wide, you know, you can test it out with a few people and see how it does. And then you go with it, but you know, hardware just doesn't work like that. You know, thankfully, you know, the industry is starting to move more towards software based solutions where, you know, it's not software just to, you know, configure a box. The software is the product. And I think that's going to push a more, you know, that software based way of design where you talk to your customers and your customers push features. It's not, you can't run it the same way as, as you've been able to. So what about this issue in the grander scale of, of the, the AV or, or IT market? Do you think this issue hurts or helps competition or, or diversity in the market? I think I think it it really does discourage competition. You know, everyone wants to get their market share and they want to hold it. And so you have companies that create an entire ecosystem that only works on their product. They're not creating software that works on anybody's box. It only works on their box. 
And while that's fine and it creates a controlled environment, you know, Apple, Apple does that. Apple has a very specific user experience that they want you to, to, you know, be engaged with. And so everything is very locked down. They have very high standards for their design. They have really specific standards for their software and hardware. You can't just take, you know, OS, OS X and throw it on whatever you want. It has to run on in their ecosystem and that's fine. But it, it becomes detrimental when, you know, you want to see creativity and you want to see um, new ideas in the marketplace because once you get heavily invested, it's hard to pull it out. You know, it's hard to say, well, we're going to change because if you change one component, it's probably not going to work with the rest of the ecosystem. And so having a more open, you know, you see open platform, open, you know, open architecture, you know, and, and you're seeing even more companies that are starting to do actual open source where you know, here's the code and it's free. You know, we have services we sell, but you can now look at it. Anyone can touch it and anyone can can improve it and make it better. Uh, we don't have that luxury with a lot of the hardware that's out there. It's proprietary. It's closed. And if you made a box similar to it or even a box that was better than it, you're probably going to get sued or you're not going to be able to get your foot in the door on, on the market. So, you know, it's it's a tough situation where, yeah, you know, people deserve to make money and they deserve to get a return on the research they've done. But at a certain point, creating proprietary systems just for the sake of being proprietary is very harmful to the industry. Right. So can you go back and tell us a little bit about what you meant by, you know, the, the, the change we're seeing with software now more as a product instead of just a, you know, an, an asset, I guess, to the hardware. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, the, the best example right now is, you know, QSC's QSYS platform. You know, in the past, if I had a DSP, it had a, you know, dedicated DSP hardware chip. I had the physical channels that were in there. And then there was some sort of software running it. You know, they always called it firmware, but it's, you know, it's right. software that controls the board and controls the hardware and controls the logic. I would use software to configure that box, but then I just, disconnect my computer and it just sits and runs. So the software was just there to make sure the hardware was correctly configured. Uh, what QSYS did is they figured out, uh, you know, correctly that an Intel processor has, you know, about 10 times more processing power than the hardware chips that other DSP manufacturers are making. Uh, and they also recognize that it's better to start transitioning into being a software company than it is to continue making hardware. So what they basically offer now is they have a DSP product, but it's just a Linux build. You can put it on a Linux server. Um, you know, if you need the physical ins and outs, you have to get some sort of box that they, you know, that they make so you can have physical audio in and physical audio out. But if you're converting your audio to digital or you're doing control or monitoring, the software is the product. You buy the software, you configure it, it sits on your network and it does things. And that's a really new concept for, for an industry that's so hardware centric. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot more of that with some of the control and monitoring products. Uh, you're also starting to see open source um, video transport. There's the, uh, at least the SRT Alliance that has an open source video transport protocol. So if I wanted to write software on my computer that encodes hardware or encodes video, sends it down the network and gets picked up by a device or another computer on the other end, I can just make that. The software is the product. It does the work that two, you know, expensive boxes used to do. Um, and that's really new to our industry. Yeah, I think that's super exciting, right? Because I think one, it's probably because more and more people are are realizing that and accepting that, you know, we 
we need to be technologically fluent, right? And I think more and more people want that control, right? Want that power. So it's it's really cool to see the market starting to respond to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that more and more the customers and end users are ready for something different. It's a it's a way of thinking. And this is, you know, this is part of, you know, kind of going back to what I do. You know, my biggest mantra is basically you need to take control of your environment. If if that means you need to hire some programmers and work from an open source software control base, you should do that because it puts the control in your hands. It allows you to to have, you know, response to your own, you know, feature requests. And you're not you're not beholding to someone else to get around to the features that are important to you. And I think that there are a lot of customers that are starting to realize that they can have more control over their you know, over their designs, over their services, and all of that, uh, and that's that's a that's a big move. It's a big change, and it's going to you know when it's coming from the customer side, it's definitely going to change the industry. Well, Colin, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I I really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. It was a good chat, and I appreciate uh, always appreciate talking to y'all. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can go to marketscale.com industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content for your favorite industries. I'm your host, Elmer Guardado. Have a good day.